Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, today we're talking about remote work, but it's not going to be the only time we talk about this subject. The fact is, the pandemic may have sent many of us home for now, but the issue of where we work is one that's not going to go away anytime soon. You know, when I speak to audiences on the future of work, they're often surprised to hear that people have only left their homes to go to work for maybe a century or so. For a long time, people worked on farms, then they moved to being tradespeople, really freelancers. The idea of going to a factory is really only something that showed up during the Industrial Revolution, and it was all about the tools being in one place. You had to go to the factory to get the work done. Now our tools, for a lot of us, are everywhere. We can do a lot with just our phones. So maybe it's a good time to rethink the whole issue of remote work. To do that, today we have two guests who come to the subject from different angles. Adam Hickman is content manager with Gallup, and he's really familiar with the macro part of this, how companies feel about remote working, attitudes. We hear from him first, and then we hear from Justin Tuen. He's the co-founder and CEO of a company called LowerRates.ca. Now, Adam's company has about 50 employees, and pre-pandemic, he believed very firmly they all needed to be at work if they were going to be a team. Since they've started working remotely and working very productively, he's radically altered his thinking. So lots of great discussion ahead. Please stay with us. At the moment, we're in the midst of a large forced experiment in remote work. It's something that's been around for a long time. We've tried teleworking for decades, but it's also something that's not been wholeheartedly embraced by business, particularly in North America. Still, the fact that so many companies are being forced into trying this may yield some lasting changes. To talk about all of this, I'm joined by Adam Hickman. He's content manager for Gallup. He oversees the editorial calendar for all of their work research. Hi, Adam. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. Let's talk about remote work. We're all at home these days, or many of us are. How much of a real change is this for organizations? A lot of them didn't want to go there. Yeah, it's a great question. I think the unique differences has been coming from um, how did you see remote working before versus now? So just the change and where folks have started to work remotely now, uh, not necessarily has been that big of a difference. Now, we can say from from our polling that we've done, and, and when we talk about polling, it's at, an, at a range of 500 people up to 8,000 sometimes. And in this range, we're pulling right around 4,000 people where 62% as our recent numbers from March 30th to April 5th have worked from home. Now in the past seven days, we kind of narrow that scope to say, well, have you done it recently? And in that sampling, we're seeing about 63% have that. So a majority of those workers have gone home, but also if you consider things like mail carriers and garbage collectors, um, even folks that replace windshields, the job demands kind of have landed on that they're still working remote too. So I think where people are zooming in on the most and where we're seeing a lot of the reporting and conversations has been around, I was in an office and now I'm not. But we we shouldn't push aside that there has been remote working for quite a long time now. Well, let's talk about that fact that there has been remote working. It's gone back and forth. We had a lot of companies adopt this and then famously Yahoo comes to mind, say, no, this is not working. What have been the arguments against it that have forced everyone back to to the office? 
Yeah, I think there's two, two we'll see two results with this. So one is productivity. If you get into a per person productivity, there's either a, a bias, an objective or subjective measurements be, behind this. And I would say the bias and the subjective piece have been those knee jerk reactions to we're losing profit. It must be because they're working from home. We got to pull, pull people back in. The literature supports from, I would say, late uh, 1970s when Jack Niles was actually the first remote worker from NASA. If you if you just watch from that point forward, you'll see there's been pockets, just like you said, uh, of folks that have worked remotely. But the proof has been, is there a long-term productivity gain from this piece? And anytime there's a, a hint towards our folks are not being productive any longer, we have to pull them back in because there's this thought, if I can't see them, they're not productive. If the work had been done and those conversations had taken place before they've gone remote, that's less of a worry. And you can see that now as everyone has gone remote or as we said that higher percent over 50% right now, we're finding the <laughs> that individuals and employers and, and leaders and bosses and managers are finding out those that can be productive, even to a point where I think once the pandemic starts to decrease and folks are able to join back the workforce, it's going to be hard to get them back because they figured out how to be just as productive rather than uh, having to make that commute time back in. Well, that's interesting you say that because I've seen all sides of this. I see people on Twitter saying, oh, my goodness, I can't wait to get back to the office. I can't stand this. And particularly people who have small children at home. You know, usually you make arrangements. And in this case, it was sort of overnight. Everyone's going home. And I wonder if there's going to be a backlash. You're not worried about that? Worried is <laughs> – I'm not worried about it because I've been remote for 10 years. I feel really good about this. Now, the difference is who do you report to? And it, our, our recent textbook we've come out with, it's the manager, shows that that role owns 70% of their employees' engagement. So if you think of every conversation, every interaction, you've got a 70% chance there of keeping your employee as engaged as they were before you started that. So we'll, we've got a saying where we'll say people want a coach, not a boss. And if you think of just the complexity around a boss versus a coach, there's a big difference. So those individuals that that need and want to come back to work, they've got a set of workplace needs that line up with, yeah, they would want to be back. And if you look at the, the, the demands of their job or how they do what they do, being around people makes that work. If you've got a, a coaching type of manager, coaching type of leader that gets that and knows how to use that, their talents and leverage that in their role, they're going to be really successful regardless. Now flip it to the other side where those individuals that want to be remote or have found pockets of, I'm really productive. I've heard even folks that I work with that uh, I'm really productive between 4 and 5 a.m. I'm not, and I know I'm not, but I have communicated. It, these are my peak times right now because not just being a remote worker, but you've got to be a remote teacher for your kids too. So there's a whole lineup of things that are, you know, we, we've said a few times, working remote is one thing, working remote in a crisis, completely different. And there's just different variables that are packed within there. I, I think the the worry is, are, are we finding that employees can be as productive remotely? And if they are, do they really need to come back into work? You're seeing other media outlets it's, I've seen where companies are, are having that hard discussion right now. Can we be more, more remote? Or is this a different way we can change our talent management uh, structure to say, can we recruit more remote positions than we ever had before? And 
I think the one question every leader should come back to is stop saying who and start looking at what do the demands of the job require. If they can allow that role to be remote, I think they should entertain the conversation. Well, there's a lot of other considerations. We think of just the company and what works for the company. It's also the environment, the fact that after this pandemic ends, a lot of people are not going to want to get onto public transport. And, you know, maybe it's a good time for a rethink. Yes, we've started to get more into the the reporting around well-being. One of the unique emotions that we've um, dialed into is is stress and worry and happiness. All of that percentage is kind of lumped together. So while people are finding mission and purpose in their in their job in their role that they're in, they still have the stress and worry aspect of it. So if you holistically think, well, how's that possible? What's the narrative there? Well, they're clear on their expectations of their job. You kind of they have all the materials and equipment they need. They're set up to do what they do best every day. You can kind of just line up the things that say they're in a successful role and they're doing really good. Then when you shut off work and you rejoin life and the media comes and all the nudges and notifications hit your phone and emails pop in, that stress and worry starts to bubble again. So push that back in together. All of that stress and worry from things they've read about, now it's available to come back to work. One of the questions we've, we've asked is, uh, well, what if when the stay-at-home order is removed, are you willing to go back to work? And we haven't trended the data so far to know what's the what is the, you know, what's the answer to that? How do people do that? But what we can see is from those that were staying home or have done, have stayed home that were unable to work, it's a lower percent. So right around 21% have done that where they've stayed home and weren't unable to work. So if you think of those that when it's lifted, can they go back? You know, about 21% are considering, well, now what do I do? Do I risk it and go back out or do I not? Well, it's going to be interesting because before this happened, it was very hard to find employees, right? We were talking about the lowest unemployment rates in a generation. When we go back, and we're going to be going back in stages, it's a very different labor market. Does that change things for employers? Because employers are the ones who've been skeptical about this. Yes. I, the, the, sh- the shiny object of remote work, I think, has been a, a consideration for quite a while. And typically, uh, I've seen in movies, or I'm sure in other media that anyone else has watched, it's a perk, not a priority, or it's something that somebody asked for that they must have tenure for. In the in the polling that we've asked around, would you change your or occupation or, or field of work because of the coronavirus situation? Now, think of all the things that pack into that. Our latest number is over 7,000 people. 69% said no, they would not. So they know we know they're in the right they're in the right occupation. Now it's delineating to am I in the right role? And I've heard both sides of the spectrum. So some um, some individuals are saying my uh, leadership has said very loud and clear that when this passes, everyone's to return to the office. I do think that has an impact on you know if there's other roles in the same occupation or in the same field that could be done remote. They will look because in our State of the American Workplace report we, we last looked at, we said 51% of, of employees are out looking for something different, are open to that conversation. So, you know, you put four people in a room, we know two of them are out there looking. Well, what's going to cause that? Or what's going to help be a push for that? A push for that is when there's times like this that you could change the conversation and engage your employees to say, you know what, we're going to consider all things possible related to remote working. The job demands align with it. You are really productive. And let's consider what possibilities are. 
Except when you have an unemployment rate that's 15% going to 20%, is there a danger that employers just say, look, it's easier for us if you're just here. So that's what we're going to do. Yes, I do think that that is absolutely the easier way. Some of the, the narratives that come from this COVID crisis has been, you know, you, you hear a new normal or new workplace, right? And is it is the building changing? No. Are the people changing? Maybe something has changed over the time period, but the conversations for sure have changed to say what what is possible and what isn't possible. Our CEO will say this frequently to us that if you're waiting for the normal train to arrive and jump back on and things go back to normal, it's not coming. There are, this whole crisis will have caused a shift in the workplace needs, and that's what really we're trying to report to and showcase to, to leaders and those policymakers to say, hey, you've got to consider a different type of work coming in now. Right now, you know, if, you're, if your organization is one that um, is unable to, to proceed right now or, or you're in a stall point, right, be customer obsessed right now. Find out the behavior trends. What do they do differently? See if there's things you can innovate where you might be idle with, pro or with the product of it, but that doesn't mean there's things you can change or when things are lifted, you know, you're not, you're not just back to, to business as usual. You know, before this all happened, I did research into what companies were successful at this, and there's some mm -hmm. good practices and some not great practices. From your point of view, what are the things that employers are doing? Are, from your point of view, what are the things that employers can do to make sure that this is a success? If you have remote workers at home, what do you do to make them happy, to make them engaged? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to pick on our own company for a minute because I think we're really good at doing this. Jane Miller is our COO, and she is very in tune to knowing that remote working is not just a perk, but it's a competitive edge on how you attract talent, but also how you get the most out of employees. We report that 60 to 80% of the time working remotely has the highest impact for engagement. And by that, I mean, the higher the engagement scores, the higher the productivity scores. We've got meta-analysis to support what does that look like. So while we have some employees working that two to three days remote, uh, remote working, we also have employees that have been remote for years. This is going on my third year in, at specifically at Gallup, but over 10 years as a remote employee. What we do get right is that we know that communication will yield engagement. And not just communication for the fact of an email, but specifically individualized to that work group, that person, even further down into the strengths of that individual. Meaning I have very high ideation and command. I mean, our, our full 34 we talk about with, with strengths. And so the way that I like to be communicated to is different than, than my peers. My, my coach, my manager, we call go to at Gallup, um, knows how to change communication each time. So in our one-on-one, -on -one, it's not a, I adjust to him. It's he's very clear on how to adjust to me. Two other points I'll make. We know that when it comes to accountability, and remote workers and a lot of managers and leaders ask this question, how do you hold them remote? I can't see them, right? I can't be, you know, stopping by, ask how you're doing. What do I do with, with uh, my remote employees and accountability? There's three specific things that, we, that when you, if you want to do this and get it right, focus on these three. First one is that you've got to be achievement oriented. So if, if you can aim success and what it looks like, but don't tell them how to do it, we know that you're going to get the most out of that. So a lot of times you'll hear managers say, hey, um, success looks like this. Here's, here's what the bullseye looks like. Here's what we're aiming at for this. What they're not doing is saying, 
here's what success looks like and here's exactly what I want you to go do. Because then why did you hire that person? You hired a task person, not a person with unique talents and, and abilities to do so. That accountability piece is that it's fair and accurate. So there's transparency, right? Come back to that communication conversation around uh, if you're being evaluated, that your performance tools are clear, they're collaborative, they're aligned to, to your organizational gains. But it's not a demotivator. De it's that you can clearly say at the end of the conversation, does this seem fair? Yes, it does. And the last piece is the easiest piece to do, but so many managers miss this. It's developmental. So you, we, we report in our um, millennials research that we have that millennials are out seeking this. They want to be held accountable. And when you do that in a way that's de developmental, then they feel like they're learning and growing in their role, that they don't feel like it was a task delegated versus that it was development delegated to them and that they're held accountable to learning and growing in their role as a part of that accountability piece. Those three, that, that accurate or achievement-oriented, fair and accurate and developmental, the companies that do that right and often and frequent are really successful at their remote workers. Well, let's see which ones come out of this as successes. Hopefully a lot, because I think there's a lot of potential here. I'm just not clear how well it's all going to be managed. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Adam Hickman is Content Manager for Gallup. Well, what is it like when you have a company when everyone works at the office and all of a sudden they have to work at home? Sometimes it can change your mind about the work from home experience. Justin Tuin is the co-founder and CEO of lowestrates.ca. He is a convert, perhaps, to the work from home process, and he joins us now. Hi, Justin. Hi, Linda. How are you? Good, thanks. Just quickly tell us what your company does and what it was like before the pandemic. Right. Well, the easiest way to explain lowestrates.ca is we're like Expedia, but instead of comparing flights and hotels, we allow Canadians to compare their options on the full gamut of financial products from mortgages to insurance to credit cards to loans. And to date, we've saved Canadians a billion dollars. And what it was like before the pandemic set in, well, as you said in your introduction, everybody worked from the office. One of our biggest challenges as a company was always communication. Despite the fact that we worked in an office together, sat close to one another, communication, for whatever reason, was always one of the biggest challenges. And so it was always my thought that in order to improve communication, the best way to do that was to be physically together in one space, interacting socially and physically every single day. And so the pandemic forced us to really look at that because everybody's working from home. And as you say, there have been some very surprising results from that. You know, I don't know if you know this, but there's actually a study out of Harvard that shows when you work with people all day, you're more likely to send them an email than you are to talk to them. It's just because they're in your face all the time and you're kind of creating your space. So you go to some, some measures to not interact more. You think that's going too far? Or did you see some of that? Oh, I think that's really interesting. I'd never read that study or heard about that study, but it is 100% true. And it always boggled my mind because we had team members sitting five feet from one another. And instead of talking to them or even picking up the phone, they wouldn't need to. They would, they would chat, whether Gchat or Slack or email. And I kept saying, 
guys, why don't you actually talk to one another physically? It's, wouldn't it be a lot faster and wouldn't there be fewer balls dropped between the two of you? Because sometimes with electronic communication like email or chat, you know, there's the tendency to just kind of lob the ball over the fence into the other person's backyard and wait for them to solve the problem as opposed to working through it together. So that's very interesting because we did see poor communication and we did see electronic communication, despite the fact that people were physically so close to one another. Okay. So we have this pandemic and all of a sudden you have to tell everyone to go home. We were talking about what, 50 people who- 50 people, 50 people. Yeah. What was it like setting that up? Well, it wasn't that difficult to set up per se, because everyone has a good internet connection. Everyone is provided laptops and all of our work can be done remotely, right? We're, we're an online company. So we're well set up to operate whether everyone's in the office or whether everyone's remote. So it wasn't a logistical issue. It was more of a philosophical or mindset issue. It, the, the biggest challenge really for me was, you know, are we going to be able to be as productive and are we going to continue to be able to work together and grow as quickly if we're not physically together? So that was the biggest fear. There were there was a lot of excitement around it because I think that the team took it as a challenge. You know, what I said is, let's take this opportunity to demonstrate that working from home and working remotely is something that should be encouraged rather than discouraged in the company. You know, show us and show me that you can actually be more productive at home than you could be at the office because you're not commuting for two hours a day because you don't need to get ready for work or whatnot. And so that was the really the challenge that was laid out. And I think that the team has really embraced that. And surprisingly, I think productivity is actually better now and communication is better now. And people actually know each other more now than they did before because they realize they need to take that extra step in order to keep communication up. That's interesting. Have you done specific things or you just let this evolve? Are you doing like Zoom meetings or anything in particular to make them communicate? Well, we do a ton of Zoom meetings. So we do a company-wide Zoom meeting every Friday. And at the beginning, you know, those calls were more about how is the business doing and people being concerned because our business is doing well. Thankfully, you know, this has caused more people to go online and more people to be concerned about their finances. So we have more people than ever come into our website. And so at first, there was the fear of, of, our, of our team saying, look, am I going to lose my job? Is my salary going to go down? And when we got past that, and when they saw we're actually hiring, um, we've actually made those weekly meetings more into kind of social events. So our social committee does something different every week that helps us to get to know one another. And we used to have social events once a month, but they didn't seem as personal. And so I think the team actually knows each other better now um, than they did before because of these things. We also, you know, every group um, gets together every morning to talk about the priorities from the day. And then each manager gets together with their direct report at the end of each day just to talk about what happened in the day and if there are any challenges and how they can help. So you know, we put those practices in place to ensure that people understand the priorities, feel happy and, and mentally healthy. Because, you know, for some of the people, there's a sense of isolation, those who don't have spouses or families. Um, and so, 
we really think it's important to have those daily check-ins just to make sure that people's mental health um, is going well also. So when this is over, do you think you'll bring back everyone or some of them or part-time? What's your ideal if you could do any setup? So I think we're going to be very flexible because what we've seen is there's some people that love working from home and then there's some people that really don't like working from home, right? I mean, the the people who are single and don't have spouses and can have total concentration and silence at home, some of them like working from home because they think they can be more productive. Some of them don't because they feel lonely. Uh, People with families, some of them like working from home because it gives them the flexibility to do more with their kids and to kind of tailor their workday around their schedule. And some don't like it because because of the kids, because it's loud and because it's distracting and because they feel like they can't focus. So I think we're really going to take it on a person-by-person basis. And we're going to say, you know, this is a privilege, remote working, that you've earned because of your performance during the pandemic. So let's work on a schedule that works for you. So I think we're really, we're small enough still that we can kind of take it on an individual person by person basis to give people the flexibility to say, okay, what sort of schedule works for you? And I think in most cases, it's going to be a hybrid work from home and work from the office. So when you're hiring next, will you look all over the world? Because you don't have to pick anyone in any center if you're going to go this route. Well, it's funny because we've hired two people during the pandemic neither of whom live within an hour and a half of any of our offices. And so we've already started to incorporate this into our hiring practices that we're looking for the best candidate, not the best candidate that lives close to our office. And so we're trying it. Thus far, it's been very successful. And as long as it continues to be successful, we're going to have more flexibility. And it's and it's going to be something that we're going to mention to people who are looking to join the company because it's a question that we got a lot. The question was, you know, do you encourage working from home? And our answer always was no. You know, we want people to be in the office because we want them to collaborate and work together and have that strong sense of cohesion. And so the answer is going to change now when we have, you know, new prospective team members looking to join. You know, that cohesion thing, it is something that you have to think about because seeing people on a daily basis sometimes prompts new ideas, sometimes prompts some kind of teamwork, things that you don't necessarily get when everyone's apart. Now, I know you've mentioned the things you're doing, but do you think you will take other major initiatives? I mean, I know some companies actually bring everyone to a retreat once a year because they're all over the world. Uh, Do you see making bigger gestures? Definitely. I mean, we have two major company get-togethers once um, at the holiday ta- holiday time in December, and then once in, December, in, in the summer. We're going to keep doing those things. We are likely going to continue to do the once-per-month in-person social events once we're able to physically get back together. But I think it's going to be incorporated with the more frequent um, virtual meetings where we can get together and keep getting to know one another. But, but, but it's going to be a hybrid. As you said, there are some things that are better done in person. And then there are some things that you can do in person or, or virtually. It's difficult to kind of define how that's going to work move, moving forward. I think, you know, we're going to try things and we're going to find our stride. But from a philosophical perspective, we're going to be much more flexible because in the past, that was something I had in my head that to improve communication, we had to be together. And that's, that's been debunked by this. You know, I think the other thing is just 
we had a big problem in the past with people getting sick. Like I called our office a daycare. And it's really funny, uh, you know, that we're wearing masks now in public because I remember four years ago, I said, I said, look, if you're feeling a little bit sick, don't come to work. And if, you know, you must, you feel like you must, then, then, then wear a mask. And I, and I was talking to some of the other senior members of the team and they said, Justin, you can't ask someone to wear a mask. That's insane. But I just like, I did not want to get sick myself and I didn't want the team to continue to get sick because it was just a vicious circle. One person got sick and they passed it around and passed it around. So with this pandemic, it's kind of forced us and forced society to kind of look at ways to not just prevent coronavirus, but I think it's going to help with office sickness in general. So some of the other moves we're taking, we're moving our Toronto office to a space that's twice as large. So we're in an office that's 4,000 square feet right now. We are moving to an office that's 8,000 square feet to allow for our team members to have way more space between them and to hopefully you know, prevent us from going back to the office daycare environment. Um, I think we're probably going to do staggered, um, staggered, kind of office work. So we'll kind of create a schedule whereby we naturally create more space by staggering who's in the office and what days. And I think this is one thing that that a lot of companies are going to do. We never thought about ventilation in our building. So we're going to go back to um, the landlord and say, look, what sort of ventilation systems do we have in place? And is there any way that that can be improved? Because that's something that really I don't think many tenants ask um, and I think it can make a big difference in terms of passing viruses and bacteria along and so on. So there's going to be some changes remotely. And then to the in-office environment, we're making some changes also as a result of this pandemic. It's really interesting to me that you say you're going to have more space after this, because theoretically, you could have less space. You're going to have fewer people at work every day. We could have less space, but I think there's there's two factors there. One, we we plan on growing. We're a, we're a quickly growing company. But two... I saw how frequently people got sick when we had 30 people in that 4,000 square foot space. And I think the coronavirus, you know, people were getting colds. They weren't really getting the flu. It was mostly a cold, sometimes strep throat. But, you know, with the coronavirus, with COVID-19, it just brings to light, look, that there's more serious things that people can catch. And if they're catching colds and strep throat so frequently, you know, what can we do to prevent not only that, but COVID-19 from happening. And so I just think it's only responsible for us to have more space and to do what we can for when people who want to be physically in the office um, are there to make it as safe an environment as possible. Because that's like the base requirement to make sure that the team feels safe and comfortable and taken care of. That's something we take, you know, really seriously, because if they don't feel that way, you know, they're never going to perform the way we need them to. And are you an open office? We are an open office. You know, we only we only had really one office per se. Um, we had some meeting rooms, but most people sat in a very big open area. And we have a relatively new office, and the team was intimately involved with the design of the office, and so it's a reflection of what they wanted. Uh, moving forward, I'm not sure whether it will re- remain open or whether we'll put more dividers up, but we will certainly have more space between the desks. Interesting. Well, you know, it's going to be really interesting when everyone comes back, because even if we have a vaccine tomorrow, I don't think we're all going to be making the same decisions we would have made three months ago, correct? 
No, I don't think so. No, even if there's a vaccine tomorrow, I think there's going to be, you know, varying feelings, right? Some people are going to be scared and it's going to take some time for them to start behaving the way that they did in the past. And then some people are just going to have different expectations. They're going to expect to have more flexibility in their life and in their work life and where they work because they're just becoming accustomed to it. And I think companies are realizing that just like we have, that it can be done, remote work can be done successfully, you know, from Google to Twitter to Facebook, the large companies in the world, you hear them moving in this direction also. So it's it's going to be a new world. I think it's difficult to say where things are going to end up, but absolutely there's going to be changes and not just negative changes, some very positive changes also. There's some silver linings that come out of this pandemic. Justin, thanks so much for talking to us today. Thanks, Linda. Really appreciate it. Justin Chewin is the co-founder and CEO of LowestRates.ca. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work and the Future podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production.